Welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Campbell's New Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. I'm fired up. Uh, just heard about the new campaign. Listening to the pod yesterday that you did with, I mean, you really had four guests yesterday. Four five. or five? Five? Five. Five This guests. is how big your shoes are, man. You take a, you take a day off, baby bro gets some time in, and yeah, uh, yeah I got to call in the whole cavalry. You really did call in the whole cavalry uh, across the league, and uh, no, it was great to hear. It was great to hear, but it was best to hear about the uh, the new sponsorship, man. This is awesome. I can't wait to uh, to to see what that surprise is. I, th- I think per league sources, it might be Friday. Per okay. league sources, yeah. It's also not that much of a surprise. There are cans of soup from our new sponsor sitting on the stage. Uh-huh. I think you can, and, and I basically said yesterday, we're going to see how spicy you can take your soup. So, uh, yeah, there's still get ready to go. There's still a little tiny margin of uh, of mystique. But, get ready uh, to watch us eat on air with the Lunar New Year jerseys as a bib or something like that. Okay, yeah, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down. Oh, what are those, those jerseys supposed, coming, by the way? They're supposed to be coming through. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, I got to. Uh, they're wearing them tomorrow, right? Yeah, mm. so I would like to have them on the show tomorrow, but we'll see how that works wow. out. I'm wait. I'm waiting for the call that they're available for me to go grab them at uh, at uh, what's the 50 Bay Street? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trying to remember the address of Scotiabank Arena instead of just saying Scotiabank Arena. The place that we go to 45 times a year yeah. at minimum. Yeah. And I still don't know the address. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, okay. This is what we have for the show today. So we're gonna get uh, newly minted broadcaster Trey Kirby to join us. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have Savannah Hamilton call us in from the road, uh, see what's going on in Chicago. Um, and then, yeah, before all that, though, you and I are going to just talk about this Raptor season, sort of where we are. Um, uh, the Hawks game, it was funny because it's probably the most, like, fun loss we've seen for a while. But, like, it is an adjustment period for me to just, like, watch the game, see the Raptors lose on a buzzer beater, and then just be like, yay. You know, like, my typical response is, like, Wow, I just feel it's supposed to be heart wrenching, but it's kind of not that anymore. So just check it on the Raptors where they are, and of course go around the NBA for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess my question to you to start the show, Blake, is: Do you still watch Raptors games with the expectation to win? Uh, yes, because it's an entertainment product. It's more fun okay. if they're playing well, and I do think that, like, I, I look once you're in the weeds of you know a season where you're playing for your draft pick, and we can get into the draft pick conveying and stuff like that. But like the Tampa tank season where all the main guys were sitting out and it was like none of the player development pieces other than maybe Malachi Flynn and I thought at the time Paul Watson until Mm -hmm. the knee stuff started kind of dragging him down like none of the player development pieces were that interesting either so then it was like yeah okay I don't actually want the wins just get the ping pong balls or whatever but big picture outside of Tampa Bay I Mm -hmm. firmly believe that you need to you best foster development in a system that looks and feels and operates like it will when you eventually want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a good thing to like blatantly tank when you have a, a, and and look, I'm not saying that they should do everything to win games. Thad Young shouldn't be playing 25 minutes. Bruce Brown shouldn't be playing 37 minutes. Those minutes should be going to the young guys. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that if the games are competitive and the Raptors win two or three more games down the stretch, then you would maybe like just for the reverse standings, as long as that is coming about because young players are getting opportunity and doing well within those that is fine, I think. Like, the the learning how to win and, and playing actual competitive basketball is a real part of player development for me. And, and I think the history of player development around the league and which franchises do it best um, backs that up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I will completely understand if people look at that game 
and say that is the platonic ideal of a second half of this season Raptors game. Couple young guys play well. They lose by one point to a team they're close to in the standings. If there are other fans who were like, really wish someone had boxed out, boxed out Sadiq Bay. I would understand that as well. To me, it's, it's what I care about and what I'm looking at game to game is at the individual development level. Um, I'm not going to be upset with losses, but I'm also not going to be upset with wins because I think as long as those wins are coming in the service of player development, that's, that can be a positive as well, or at least not a negative. Yeah. I'm uh, the reason I'm asking you this is I'm kind of struggling with it mostly because not that I don't understand what the direction of the team wants to go or, or any of that, or disagree with that. Um, my thing is just like, how do you evaluate in a losing environment? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, for example, if I were to look at it, I'd be like, look, that game that they lost against the Hawks, like, shouldn't put tra- you put you shouldn't put Thad Young out in the game late that game. You should probably go a little bit smaller if you really wanted to switch everything because they were willingly switching Thad onto Trey Young. And ordinarily, I'd be like, I can't believe that. That's a bad decision by the coach, all that kind of stuff. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if they're trying to lose, which I don't think they were trying to lose in that game specifically, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it gets hard to evaluate when the end goal is sort of murky. You know, it, it, even small decisions like that, bigger picture decisions, like, I think it's easier to see. You probably look at like a 10 game rolling average of a young mm-hmm. player and see how they're growing. And, you know, for example, Grady Dick is really coming on a little bit, which is nice. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think a but, good example of this is not this game. But not the Clippers game. What was the game before the Clippers game? My brain is mush today. Uh, the Memphis game. The Memphis so game. So Grady Dick didn't play particularly well. He didn't play very much. Yeah. And then he closed out the game. Yeah. And it was weird because, like, it was a close game. It was a winnable game. And, look, I, players absolutely do not tank. Front offices tank. Yeah, yeah. Coaches and medical staffs, maybe as like if if it's a coin flip situation, they lean toward what whatever. But even in but this current situation, is, we're not actually doing that right no, now. No, they're in not. Yeah, and, and this is this is also like, and we can get into why. And it's a lot. It's some of it's about player development and culture and stuff like that. Some of is it about some of it is about even if you completely bottom out to the best of your abilities, you only got forty five percent chance of keeping the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's possible you just do the Spurs a bigger favor by getting them. You know the oh, number the Spurs, seven pick instead the of the number ten this. pick. Yeah, the this, Spurs are like, yes, yeah. We just put we just put Thad Young late in the game, and we're switching him on to Trey Young on purpose. Yeah, right. but the Memphis yeah. game's a good example of like, it's not a good example of how to execute it. But like, hey, it's a close game late, and Grady Dick hasn't played well, but he needs a developmental rep, so he's gonna be on the court. And if we win because Grady Dick bangs a couple threes, awesome. If we lose because he's at a place and doesn't have anyone to defend, mm. whatever. Now, I would argue in that game, if that is the mode you're going into, he should play more than 15 minutes in that game. But he played 25 minutes in this Atlanta game. He came back into close. Mm-hmm. They did a little bit of the offense defense with him and, and Thad where the, where it allowed for it. But that that's kind of the thing. Like, I, I agree with you. It's hard to evaluate in these situations yeah. because, no, when you are back to being a competitive team, there's no way you'll have Thad Young guarding Trey Young. Yeah. Although I would not put it past Thad Young to be 40 years old when the Raptors are next competitive and still playing eight games a year where he's good. Uh, um, so that that uh-huh. part's hard. And this is why, like, it's I don't want to throw the games out entirely, but I really do primarily care about individual player development at that point. And that has mm-hmm. to come within the system and the team context and stuff. Like, I don't want Scotty Freelance to take a 40 shots just to see what that looks like. I wouldn't hate it, actually, if I'm being honest. Honestly, one of these games, I would love to see that level of aggression. I'm just saying I'm not advocating for that. Um, But, yeah, like, Thad Young, Bruce Brown, Dennis Schroeder combined for 88 minutes in that game. Mm. It goes north of 100 if you include Chris Boucher, who's also over 30. Right. That's probably the thing that, you know, if that's still happening 
after the trade deadline, then I'm going to question that part of the of the plan here. Even like like you add quickly and RJ back in, those are young players. Like I saw some yeah. people suggest that like RJ's injury or Manuel Quickly's injury is tanking. It's like no, no. If you have not. 23 and 24 year old players, the player development reps in a new system, in a new environment with expanded role, playing off of Scotty Barnes, the player development reps are way too important to be, you know, obviously you don't risk it, mm-hmm. but you're not sitting down 23, 24-year-olds no. to, like, it, like, improve your chance of losing. Especially in the case of Quickly. Like, he's coming into a contract here, and the better he plays, especially in this current system where it's most likely that he's going to re-sign because he's restricted here, that's going to affect, you know, how he's going to be doing. So I, there's definitely no incentive for him uh, or RJ, honestly. But... I think the other thing, going to the idea of like, okay, because I think for me it's mostly just how do I evaluate coaching or how do I evaluate individual decisions in this specific moment where it's not the be-all and end-all to win every single game, which kind of was for the last like 10 years. Um, Do you think there is an element where they're showcasing certain veterans at this current time? Because you know what I mean? I I, I can't fully tell what their motive is on a game-to-game basis. Okay, so I'll say this. There are... Every NBA team has advanced scouts all around the league. There were like eight at a game last, maybe the Memphis game. Yeah, there yeah. were a ton of scouts there. Yeah. And that's that's planned out in advance. And maybe they thought Pascal and OG would still be around at that point. But NBA teams have scouts all over the place. They have pro scouts. They have college scouts. They have college scouts who check in on pro guys in the G League. And they, yeah. like, they have tape and book and background on everyone. If you look at Gary Trent Jr., starting and playing X amount of minutes and getting X amount of shots, and you think, oh, they're showcasing Gary Trent Jr., that's not really the case. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of data and film on Gary Trent Jr. at this point. No one's getting fooled by a little bit there. Now, with someone like Thad Young, who hasn't played basically mm-hmm. all year, you could convince me a little bit they're... they're but that in- one's so clearly injury-related with Young. Right, it down. is. But yeah. also, like, it's not the worst thing in the world to show, hey, Thad can still, yeah, you know, he- in an emergency, give you some minutes in addition to being, like, the best dude in the world. Sure, um, yeah. I, I would also understand if Otto Porter were getting minutes over the next couple of weeks to just show, like, or I guess the next week because we're only nine days out from the deadline. Yeah, um, yeah. Just to show, hey, he's healthy, he can stay on his feet and not get hurt. I would get that. But, like, everyone knows who Dennis Schroeder is. Everyone knows who Bruce Brown is. Everyone yeah. knows who Gary Trent is. Like, those, that type of guy... That, and, and this came up a bunch with Malachi's minutes before he got traded as well. It's like, here's the other thing about showcasing. If you play poorly. Oh, yeah. It goes the other way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a real risk to showcasing uh-huh. uh, a bad player. So, yeah. Um, so, I, anyway, I, I would understand it a little bit with with Thad and Otto because of the they haven't played a bunch and you want to show they're healthy. Um, but, like, yeah, Dennis, Gary, Boucher, Bruce Brown, like, everyone knows who those guys are. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I agree with you, and I hear you on that. I think it's just like on a game-to-game basis, like it's it's going to be a little bit hard to evaluate each individual decision. Yes, yeah. there's going to be so many motives that come in. Um, I think the bigger picture, obviously, as you mentioned, is the individual players and how they grow, and so much of this. I mean, we've probably done, I don't know what you think, man, thirty segments on. How is Scotty Barnes doing this season? Yeah. Let's let's talk about it for 15 minutes. The number minutes. of times you put BBQ in the dock, <laughs> and I'm just like here post gym starving. Like, uh, all right, yeah, let's talk about BBQ. Let's uh, let's get a, a chunky gum, spicy chunky gumbo soup. Yeah. going here. You sure, know? there you go. I was we gonna f- find some way to do an acronym with that with the guys on the team post deadline. We will find ways to do food yeah. content on the show. Don't worry, <laughs> we have a, we have a proven track record of that. Um, By the way, sorry, this is a complete aside, but I guess those. 
photos that Hong Xing posted uh, of oh. you. Yeah, you look you looked good, man. We got you know what? Put that on the rundown for Friday. You know, because we could do anything we want on Fridays. Yeah. Put that on the rundown on Friday. We'll show those photos because uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was quite it's a good deep. look. I need quite like the shoot. I I don't know what my equivalent would be, but like. I don't know, Sneaky D's handing me like a band t-shirt uh, that just has like a plate of nachos on it or something. I don't know. But you looked good, man. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, let's yeah. let's actually make that happen. Um, <laughs> okay, we were gonna, we'll are gonna we do that on Friday. But um, yeah, I mean, look, listen, we're, we're going to do another How is Scotty Barnes doing segment. Okay. Yeah, all the time. And I think it was interesting because um, honestly, probably for like the, for the first time all season, I was like really spending a lot of time on, on dunks and threes, just like kind of like scrolling around, EPM, all that when kind of stuff. When he was sixth in the NBA and in yeah. estimated wins added? Because I was just thinking about that. And I was like, okay, how is he ranking right now? And so I went to, this, to Scotty's page, and of course they give you that rolling average. Yep. First 10 games of the season, Scotty was basically floated between plus four and plus six EPM. To translate that into like, you know, your average thing, it's like he's basically performing at like a 95th percentile or better as a player. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that was on defense and offense as well. So he was just really, really good on both sides of the ball. In the 15 Scotty Barnes yeah, exactly. is all star. Yeah, exactly. He was doing exactly that. That's plus 6 EPM is, is what Darko uh, was doing in that post-game press conference. 15 games since OG's been traded, though. He's at a rolling average of minus 0 0.87 EPM. Now, I, I don't know. Some of these, I, I'm not totally sure how it's calculated because there, there's certain games where I'm like, I don't know. I felt like he played really well in that game, but somehow, like for example, in the uh, the Warriors game where the Raptors beat the Warriors by a lot, he was like a minus five, and I was like, "How? He did a great job guarding Steph Curry. How is that not showing up on the numbers?" Yeah. So of course, you can like kind of like look at individual items. But my point is, though, he went from like plus four, plus six to now like minus zero point eight seven in the fifteen games since OG's been moved. What are you seeing, at least on the statistical side, in terms of why something could shift that strongly? Like how, for example, is that tied to wins? Um, and just, yeah, I mean, how have you made of OG or, uh, you know, Scotty's change in production since OG's left? Yeah. So, um, first a little bit of background on that stat. So I've explained this before on air, but EPM, what it's doing is it takes box plus minus. If you ever go on basketball reference and you see BPM or you see someone, uh, site box plus minus what that is is trying to take everything that gets logged in the box score and try to figure out how much that contributes to winning based on every game that's ever happened in the NBA mm -hmm. and based on what a guy is doing and then what EPM does is it tries to look at things like okay well who did you play with like what lineups yeah. did you what line mates did you have did the other team shoot 100% on three or 0% on three what was the quality of competition like it tries to adjust for that stuff so it's very very noisy in single games as any stat is going to be the real answer here is that it is really, really tough to, even if you are an awesome player, to have strong impact metrics in a bad competitive environment. Okay. So among the nine teams at the bottom of the league, so this is uh, from Brooklyn and Atlanta, who have uh, are who are both 19 and 27 on down. Mm -hmm. So that's Brooklyn, Atlanta, Memphis, Toronto, Portland, Charlotte, San Antonio, Washington, and Detroit. Right. The bottom nine teams. The Tankathon playoff. Yes. Picture. Scotty ranks first of any player on those teams mm, in wow. estimated wins added. Okay, so okay. Now, Wemby's got him beat on like a per-possession basis, but Scotty plays more than okay, Wemby. Okay. Um, Desmond Bain and LaMelo Ball are ahead of him on a per-possession basis as well, just, just by a small amount. Um, LaMelo obviously having a, a monster uh, offensive impact and Desmond Bain kind of 
you know, that that's been very up and down in Memphis, but Memphis has been okay. more competitive game to game than maybe people thought. So, and then Scotty's in a group with like Alex Caruso and Marcus Smart and Mikhail Bridges as like, mm-hmm. okay, how are these guys? So basically it's really, really hard to have a huge impact on winning when your team environment is as uncompetitive as the Raptors have been lately. And it basically takes a Wemby all-time good rookie season or what Scotty's doing where he's mm-hmm. a borderline all-star. And I, I guess Desmond Bain, if the Grizzlies were a little bit better and not in the West, would probably yeah. be making the same kind of hey, I'm a fringe all-star. He's not going to make it, but the same kind of case. Sure. Um, so that's really the answer is no matter how, unless so you are if you don't Wemby, win, Yeah, if you don't win, you're not going to have like impact metrics. Right. Like you okay. can, and Scotty's still a positive. Like he's still, no, he is still a positive still on the season. 89th percentile sure. on the year in terms of per 100 possession. Yeah. And, and because he plays so many minutes, he ends up really, like I said, of mm-hmm. all the players on these bottom nine teams, he has the highest wins added. Yeah. So he's doing the best job he can. It's just really, really hard for the catch-all metrics to look at a team that's lost as much as the Raptors and been like, that guy's amazing. It's just hard for the numbers to catch that. No, I mean, th- this is really good because that, that's kind of why I wanted to tee this up because it's great to get that context. It's good to get that explanation. You could put up the same numbers, but if you're in a losing situation, you're probably going to get dinged a lot more. Um, I guess my other part is just, do you see a notable difference in the last 10 game versus like the first 10 games of the season? I think the situation has gotten more difficult for him. Okay, for sure. I think, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say, well, he hasn't driven winning as much because like I, I actually think his defense since these trades has been, it's probably the best defensive stretch he's played in his entire career. I, it's I definitely think. the most workload he's ever had to take on defensively. And I feel like he's adjusting and getting better and better as it goes. Yeah. And I think that's really important context. I think, you know, we we talked a little bit when the, the usage wasn't quite where some people would like it maybe about like, you know, was he deferring too much? Was he trying to let guys get his spots? Things like that. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of learning going on here when you take away not only Pascal, who was kind of co-handling the reins with him, but you take away OG, who was one of your best knockdown shooters, and you added multiple guys who, you know, don't necessarily demand the ball at like a number one usage level, but RJ and Emmanuel quickly are like very different guys to play with than Pascal Siakam. So Mm -hmm. I think there's an adjustment there. I actually thought his Hawks game was one of his better playmaking games as well. In addition to being a good defensive game, he almost Um, set up Gary for the game winner. It really should have been Gary could have knocked that three down and he Um, wouldn't even have to avoid all that heartbreak at the end, but whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I I actually think tonight's going to be a really interesting example of how he's learning and growing in this role. Because if you remember the last Bulls game, he had a monster game. He had like 31.6 assists. He was great. Um, He was was basically playing the five against Vooch to close that one out, which we'll see if that happens. uh, And he was also double teaming DeMar on the drives too. So he was playing two positions at once. Yeah, for sure. Um, So there's a lot of context changing around him that for a guy in his third year, even a very talented one is, is just going to take some, some time to figure out. And I think, you know, I thought he played well enough. Maybe not quite aggressive enough scoring, but the Memphis game was was pretty good, right? Like, they lost that game, and he was a positive. Um, I thought he was their best player against the Hawks, even though they lost some of the... the they lost a lot of the starter minutes. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't been discouraged by, yeah. by what's happening. This is kind of what I expected, that, you know, the numbers are going to go up and down, mm-hmm. and... It's a, it's a lot, man. Like it's no, for sure. I mean, it's a lot, and like realistically, these last couple games too. Like, even if the quickly and RJ stuff is an adjustment, like you took away the second and third or third and fourth best players on the team, third, fourth, fifth, second, third, fourth. If you include Jakob, mm-hmm. like it, it's a tough situation right now for for a guy jumping. You know, no longer having the I guess training wheels of hey Pascal can handle the load too. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, this is. Honestly, it was just I, I go to the page and I look at the rolling like 
data set and it is trading downwards. But I wanted the context of this and have the discussion because at least to the eye test, seems to be he is still playing on a really productive level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just that, again, like you mentioned, trades have happened, injuries have happened. It changes a lot. For, versus that first 10 games, we, we really remarked for a while, like, wow, the Raptors are remarkably healthy. Yeah. That was part of the reason why I was so disappointed to see them losing was like, this is as healthy as you're going to get. This is as good as you're going to get. Like, and you guys still aren't getting results with Dude, the they previous roster. the same starting lineup for like 25 games. And, and like yeah. part of why, I don't know, part of why it was so fascinating was like, well, this keeps not working. Could you try something else? But also like, how have you had the same starting lineup for 25 straight games? Like nobody yeah. in the modern NBA has that kind of health. Um, okay. So I, I want to kick this back at you. So that's kind of the, the high level impact view of Scotty Barnes. What are you seeing more in the specific offensive role defensive role i think we're in agreement that it's a heavy workload you know he's up to number one in the entire nba in defensive uh, positional versatility how much you're guarding one across five okay um that's ahead of like peyton watson haywood highsmith og herb jones drew like he's ahead of those guys in terms of how much he's switching around um a a little less so in terms of like are you guarding the number one guy you know what's your role versatility but he's he's carrying a big defensive load offensively yeah what are you seeing in terms of you know, the scoring usage versus the passing usage versus just the aggression level overall. Yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, you could refer back to our 20 other discussions about this. But, uh, of course, there's there's definitely the general, like, ask of can you be more aggressive? The way you're in the fourth quarter, can you do it earlier in the game? That's always something that's going to be asked of Scotty. And, you know, hopefully that he gets there. You can give me reasons as to, like, he's reading the game, he's sort of adapting. By the end of the game, he solves it, and then boom. Or he senses the urgency of the moment, and he goes forward, and boom. Or, like, he's trying to set up teammates to start with the game, and then later on, if they're not going, then he takes over. I'll accept all of those as, as parts of it. I think, for me, I, part of the his transition to being the number one guy now is, like, I want to see, you know, how his, like, individual play creation for himself continues to improve. Now, I don't need him to take every shot. Like, the, the analogy before of, like, the, you know, I don't want to see Scotty take 40 shots. I mean, out of sheer curiosity, I would yeah. love to see that. But that's not a general ask that I like to see. I don't want him shooting contested shots over multiple defenders. There's no need for that, really. Even in this offense, there's no need for that. Um, but I would like to see on a on a certain level for his individual scoring to go up. So there was a play at the at the end of the the Hawks game where he kind of went one on one, and they tried to get a bucket. And I think it was actually in the last two minute report that did actually rule that. Was this the one against Sadiq Bay? It, it was like a miss foul call, okay. something like that. But essentially, it was like a one on one clear out. Get your bucket, you know. Damn, you're still looking at the last two minute report. Eh? I thought, I thought I, Ben Taylor's shenanigans ended this. No, it's fine. I, sometimes I like to look at it just to verify just if, to like, get mad. if there was a foul. Yeah, I, you know, so, a lot of being online is like, can I find a way to get mad? Um, emotional damage. <laughs> that's actually what the that's that's they should rename the last two minute report to emotional damage report. Um, but yeah, like he he really couldn't like get that separation from his guy and ended up tossing up like a hook shot, whether he was fouled or not, whatever. I guess he was, but. My point is, like, he couldn't really create that space for, like, a scoring move. And I do feel like it's a very critical part of any sort of, like, go-to lead option to have, like, a go-to move or, like, at least something really repeatable that you can kind of do on a consistent basis that you can come back to. And I think that that's where I looked into more in terms of, like, the offensive role. Love to see the isolation scoring jump up. So right now he's shooting 39% in isolations. That's 20th percentile in the league. In pick-and-roll usage, he's at 46%, which is actually pretty decent. Forty-six percent scoring out of the pick and roll as the handler. Yes, just as the as a percentage. But I mean, a lot of pick and roll scoring nowadays is pull up three point shooting. That's not an aspect that really goes in. So he's actually at thirty fifth percentile. Even though forty six percent actually sounds like a reasonable percentage in general, where he's done well is like spot up scoring off of cuts, off offense rebounds, off rolls to the basket, off transition. Pretty much every other kind of play type he's actually really good at. 
But I think as the number one guy, you do need a little bit more of those two aspects. And that's where I'm looking to see more and more growth for the rest of the season is like, is Scotty going to develop like a go-to move that he can kind of go to like on a consistent basis? Maybe that's hard to do mid-season, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't really see a guy coming up with a mid like a go-to move mid-season, but long-term. I mean, his go-to move is I'm stronger than everyone on the court. Yeah, but I mean, eventually, like, come on, man. Like, that's that, that kind of defense is like, even Giannis yeah. will struggle sometimes when he was younger yeah. in crunch time if, if that's the go-to move. Uh, one small piece of encouragement. Um, so we looked at earlier in the season, you know, Scotty's efficiency numbers with and without Pascal because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and a lot of this wasn't Scotty. It was you're playing with Malachi Flynn and, and a couple yeah, other the guys. Yeah, is, uh, um, is a big drop-off. His true shooting percentage without Siakam on the floor for the season is now almost up to league average. And that's okay, on, that's, like, 27% that's, usage. That's pretty encouraging. So he, yeah, he does really have the usage rate kind of where you'd want to see it in the non-Siaka minutes, and the efficiencies come around. Um, this does take us to, so Scotty is just narrowly above 20 points per game, which uh, if this were, like, 10 years ago, yeah, uh, that would be a, a good thing. But this sets us up uh, for today's spicy take yeah, okay. brought to you by New Chunky Spicy Soup. Are you ready to get fired up, Will, are you ready for your spicy take Tuesday? Yeah, this is a this is a separate aside because I was thinking a lot about obviously isolation score, pick and roll score, whatever. Right? It feels like I'll, obviously this is a big discussion in the league of guys are scoring seventy. What's wrong with defenses? Guys are scoring sixty. What's wrong with defenses? I think that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, and this is my spicy take: twenty points in today's league is like a fifteen point score in the previous league. You know what I mean? Like, I, I I'm just there's so many guys in the league that could put up 20 now to the point where it's like you come into the year and you're like, well, Kyle Kuzma might do it twice in a row. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, no disrespect to Kyle Kuzma, but you know, there are certain guys who are averaging 20 that I'm just like, honestly, in a previous era, like you probably only be at 15. So basically 20 is a new 15 is a spicy. Take. So I pulled some numbers on this for you. Okay. There are 54 qualified players averaging 20 points a game right now. 54. So that's, two, that's absurd, basically man. two a team. That's two per team. It was at 54 last year as well. Yeah. If you go back to 2010 to 2015, that five-season range, mm-hmm. the league averaged only 16 per year. So half a guy per yeah. team was averaging 20 just no, a decade always, ago. That was always the benchmark of, like, yeah. are you a guy? Can you score 20? You know yeah. what I mean? And, and now Bojan Bogdanovic is averaging <laughs> a 20-piece. <laughs> Who is the Give me the worst player averaging 20 right now. Oh, I don't know. Cam Thomas could be in there. I mean, offensive scoring wise, he's not yeah. like worst, but I, I mean, in terms of empty calories elsewhere, like he might be the worst player that is, yeah. is in that 20 range. Rozier's over 20. Yeah. Who's my guy? Although Rozier's average is shooting like 0% since he joined the Heat. So <laughs> uh, maybe that's going to, uh, okay. maybe that's going to come down. I do. I really like Bojan as a, as a role player. Yeah. Um, and like he, someone should be trading for him at the deadline, but he's probably where like I look and I see 20 points a game. I'm like, man, that says a lot about the current NBA and the current Pistons. Yeah. That, that one's tough, but yeah, that's, that's a spicy take. 20 is the new 15. Like we got to like, what's the new benchmark? 25 is 25. Then like yeah. we make the cutoff. The worst so, player averaging 25 is Bojan averaged James, 22 like, last year. So maybe I'm being unfair to Bojan, but it's just I, I'm really not enjoying watching a lot of Pistons games these days. I watched Pistons Hornets the other day, and I was texting, I mean, they're, they're texting friends for help. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's yeah. Bojan. Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, it's probably Cam Thomas in terms of overall game. Yeah. If you Okay. This is the, the, the 25. You get to 19 players. And by okay. worst player, I meant like LeBron's the lowest player on that list yeah. at 25 points. Yeah. So that and, and like I said, player. from 2010 to 2015, only 16 guys per season average 20. So if 19 are averaging 25, I think that's a good. Uh, Sounds about right. That's a good benchmark. That was uh, today's spicy take. Brought to you by New Chunky Chick- oh. Chunky Spicy Soup. Ready to get fired up? I'm fired uh, ready up. to take a break and talk to uh, the G League's newest broadcaster. We are. Yes, we are. That was actually really cool to see. 
that take place. So we are going to bring in Trey Kirby after this break, but uh, we are going to take that break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your host, Will Lou. Got Blake Murphy with me. And we have joining us on the line, Trey Kirby, no dunks, who made his broadcast. De- is that is that your debut yesterday? I'm sorry. I wasn't familiar with your resume. Is, is, that, <laughs> is that your debut? <laughs> uh, that's a sort of a debut. Okay. We once upon a time, got to call a summer league game. Oh, this was yes. a game with actual stakes that counted. Last year, we did some sideline reporting, but this felt like our big-time debut for sure. For anyone who who didn't see, uh, Trey, Skeets, and Tass were the broadcast crew for the College Park Skyhawks game, the, the Atlanta Hawks affiliate who uh, swept the 905 four games to nothing this year. Very nice of them. Uh, that, that organization is uh, full of former Raptors people as well. Um, Brian Schmidt, their head coach. You guys got a good one. Came down to the wire. Um, Kobe Bufkin puts up 43 Damn. in that one, but it's CEBL legend Xavier Moon oh. who gets it done for uh, the Ontario Clippers. Man, how like obviously this seems like it would be a ton of fun to do. You guys do some prep and stuff, but like once you're late in a close game what was that like like did you were you just like autopilot and go with the flow were you were you in your head how how was that side of it it was really really fun and i don't know if autopilot is the right word because the whole time i was just thinking don't just yell oh anytime something exciting happens i wanted to at least have something to say you know uh but yeah it was really really fun uh gives us a lot of respect for the people who do this regularly uh you start to understand why somebody on a broadcast might repeat themselves from time to time. There's a lot of time to fill during the game, but man, it was really fun. And I honestly didn't realize there was going to be so many Raptors connections with the Skyhawks there. You mentioned uh, their coach, Ryan Schmidt, had time with the Raptors 905. I think he also coached a team in Canada yep. called the Brampton Honey Badgers, an incredible name mm. for a team. And then, like you said, Xavier Moon had a great game. Jamario Moon in attendance last oh, night. Oh, wow. 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 Did he do wow. so a legendary summer league thing okay. uh, from the first couple summer leagues that I went to is Jamario Moon would show up in throwback jerseys to watch summer league games, but okay. also was sometimes in a Jamario Moon jersey. Really? Uh, was he jerseyed uh, up yesterday? Did you get to see? Uh, he seemed to be wearing uh, standard civilian clothes, uh, but he looked like he still had a free throw dunk in his legs. Nice. He has an uh, H&M on instead of a 33 <laughs> Jamario Moon. Damn, uh, I should have gotten you my Jamario Moon jersey that I made at a summer camp one year. That's how much I love Jamario Moon, wow. man. Uh, Mikhail McIntosh and Josh Primo, also Canadians in that game, and Raptors legend Armani Brooks. There oh, were, uh, there and you plus, go. you guys obviously have the, yes. the deep Toronto connection. You guys um, are last on the list somehow. But. Also, Dwayne Dedman? Is it? How did this not catch my radar that Dwayne Dedman is uh, on the Clippers G League team? The G League's fa- interesting. Yeah. Every time you open a G League box score, there's fun stuff like this, Trey. Yeah. Deadman was hooping last night. I think he finished a plus 20. Mm, still wow. got the jumper from the top of the key. Still bringing the defense inside. He could give a team four or five minutes off the bench, I think. All right. I got to ask you a, a broad 
now that you're officially a broadcaster, there was a, an interesting call in the Denver Nuggets game uh, last night where Aaron Gordon uh, blocked Damian Lillard on a, on a key shot late and the color commentator called him Snuffleupagus because he snuffed that out. Uh, where do we land on, on Snuffleupagus, Dre? <laughs> uh, I guess I'd rather be called Snuffleupagus than Oscar the Grouch, but I was not expecting that listening to the broadcast. That was a hilarious broadcast. I oh, watched uh, quite a bit of Bucks Nuggets. They were showing uh, the broadcasters on a little inset, counting down Giannis's free throws. Mm. We had one uh, color commentator counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi like that. And then we had another color commentator showing her iPhone running the stopwatch to the yeah. camera just to show that Scott Hastings was counting correctly. And I got to say, it paid off because late in the fourth quarter, Giannis Antetokounmpo actually got called for a 10-second free throw violation, and the crowd went insane. That was actually jokes because, A, he got called for that violation. The next one, he just violated again. They didn't call it for the second <laughs> time, even though he took exactly the same amount of time. But then Giannis missed the second free throw, but then ended up taking a pull-up three and made it. So it actually didn't even fully work out for the for the for the uh for the for the Nuggets, at least in that specific play, although they did get the win last night. But um yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you like honestly I the, the routine is absolutely a violation and Giannis like I I don't know what it is, but just needs to change the routine to make it legal. But do you actually want the refs to call that every single time until he changes it? I, I kind of do because, like, once you see it called once, like, it's it's happening every time. Because he did it's it on like, the next free throw. They, it's they like literally lane have the violations where, like, I don't actually care about the infraction that much. Okay. I care about how, like, that they just randomly call one once in a while. Sure. Um, the, the free throw routine is also, like, it's amusing. If I was watching an 82 bucks game start to finish, I would lose my, like, I don't know how Eric yeah. name of the athletic, uh, does it like, like watching it every single game. And, uh, I don't know, I guess you, you get a breather or whatever, but it's a, it's a tough one. Trey, where do you land on that? Well, I don't want them calling it every time, but the reason they don't call it every time is because it happens every time. <laughs> yeah. There was a yeah. game this season where Giannis took 34 free throws. So yeah. he's at Indiana. the free throw line for what? 340 seconds that's yeah. over five minutes of just waiting for a guy to take the shot but uh they're only going to call it once a game if that so Giannis, not a ton of incentive to change it but it seems like an easy fix just get into the dribble part three seconds earlier and you still got time yeah the annoying thing to me is the refs also given that respect as a great player and they should obviously where he like stands on the line starts breathing does a fake shot then receives the ball Mm -hmm. then he goes for another 12 seconds it's like it's no, the like actual how the pitchers have found loopholes with the pitch clock where in yeah, baseball yeah. they introduce the pitch clock but it doesn't start until the pitcher gets the ball back yeah. so you do like a big walk around the mound and take your time unless the umpire is like really enforcing mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. uh yeah if they try to crack down on it further Giannis is just gonna like refuse to get to the free throw line <laughs> miss the pass from uh from the rep um all right let's pivot off of this to uh tonight we're getting raptors bulls tray for the fourth time this season, we talked to you about the Bulls a little bit earlier in the year. Um, not a lot has changed. Still kind of hanging around the play-in, dealing with some injury stuff. Um, not a bad team, but not a good team. We are nine days out from the trade deadline. How are you feeling, man? Well, I'm feeling okay. You know, not a bad team, not a good team. The Bulls are living for the play-in tournament. It seemed coming into the year like they were going to be a ninth seed got off to a terrible start mm -hmm. five and 14, but 17 and 11 since then. And guess what? They're right there for the ninth seed. So um, that's where DR DeRozan shines. 
<laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You need a big market team in the play in tournament and you need stars like DR DeRozan to show up nice. time and time again. Um, hopefully DeMar will let her skip school for game number two though, because I do think if that happens, maybe the heat don't go to the finals. Mm. Yeah, that was a, that, that part cheesed me as a Raptor fan. Cause I'm like, what do you mean? You're going to let her do it for the nine ten game, but not the, this, I guess this, the second Tell your play daughter in. to leave me alone. Yeah, just that's what you said. yeah, that was actually amazing. We got confirmation in game, uh, from OG on that. But no, I mean, I, I think cause on one hand you could look at the bulls and say, the, the start of the season and, like, where they are right now is just kind of like their true talent level. Like, you didn't really think that the Bulls would be that much over 500, and the fact that they're three games under right now is not the most surprising thing. But as you mentioned, it is kind of two segments. And 17-11 is not bad in the East. They played really well. Obviously, a lot of that was without Zach on the floor, which may or may not be directly tied uh, together. Uh, I think the most promising thing to come out of the Bulls season is Kobe White turning into, like, I don't even know. I mean, I, what... The, dare I say fringe all-star? Like, would he be a snub if, if Colby? No, but, you know, still, he's playing at a really effective level. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess my question to you as someone who's, you know, been a lifelong Bulls uh, supporter or admirer, but, like, do you want them to blow it up? Because I think that was kind of the idea last time we had you on. Has 17-11 changed uh, your mind? Uh, it hasn't changed my mind, okay, but I right. do prefer a competitive team. Mm. I like uh, the Bulls having... At, at least feeling like the Bulls are going to have a chance uh, to win every single night out, even if they're not able to really beat the good teams right now. You go and look at their 17-11 stretch here. They're basically beating the teams they should and losing against the teams that they should lose against. So they're not really there, but um, I don't know. I'm sure Bulls management and Bulls fans themselves, we're our memories are long enough to remember the Bulls tanking oh. prior to the 2021 season when they weren't very good and nothing really paid off. They got Lowry Markkinen. He ended up being a great pick, but he didn't become an all-star until he got to Utah, right? Chris Dunn, also a return in the Jimmy Butler deal. For whatever reason, he didn't get good until he got to Utah either. The Bulls struggled through three seasons, kept picking number seven, finally got a fourth pick, which hasn't totally panned out yet, but the results aren't always there when you right. tank. So, I mean... If they could find out a way to get the number one pick in 2025, that's a different story. Uh, but I think everybody's going for that right now. I guess my takeaway here is the city of Chicago needs to be placed at altitude for the Bulls to really hit on their player. These guys go to Utah and suddenly everything uh, everything clicks for Chris Dunn and, and Big Shotgun. Um, okay, so Trey, look, there's a, there's a case to be made if you're the Bulls front office, and I'm sure this is the case they'll make because... They haven't pivoted off of, of this group for, for a while here that they've put together that, hey, these guys are under contract, you know, can't get good value for Zach Levine. We're okay just keeping a really good player and the contract's the contract, but he's a good player. Hey, Nikola Vucevic, you know, it's only two more years. He, he's still a, a starting caliber center and so on down the list. With DeMar DeRozan headed to unrestricted free agency this summer. Now, I don't know personally if DeMar's headed into the stage of his career where he might take a smaller deal to, to take on a different role on a contending team and try to get that ring. I don't know if he would prefer to stay with a team like the Bulls that has his bird rights and can pay him, you know, what he's still worth. Um, does your thinking on the sell or stay part of this for the Bulls change at all with DeMar because he's a pending free agent? Like, is he, are you, do you treat him separately than, than the other guys in your head? I think a little bit, just because DeRozan has been one of the biggest successes, I think, for Arturis Knishevis as a GM since taking over with the Bulls. Not a highly regarded signing when they made the move uh, in summer of 2020, 
one, I suppose, but he's played really well, was in the mix for some MVP votes that season and has been an all-star a couple of times. He's definitely taken maybe a half step back this season. The efficiency isn't quite there. And the idea of letting him walk seems kind of ridiculous to me, but also the idea of paying him out longer and longer just because he's been such a solid vet. I don't know if that's the smartest team-building move. Uh, for me, I think the deal would have to be right for DeRozan. If somebody's going to come in and offer a couple of first-round picks, which seems unlikely, I think the Bulls would have to at least entertain that idea. But if it turns out to be other expiring contracts and you're just trying to t get DeRozan out of Chicago – I don't think the Bulls would have the stomach for that. Well, if we go elsewhere, then Atlanta. See, there's other teams around like that. I feel like it, the Raptors aren't going to be the only team that blows it up essentially before the trade deadline here. There, there has to be another team that joins in here. Yeah, the course, Raptors are the only team that blew it up before we got to the discussions about which teams should blow it up at the trade deadline. The, the Raptors, you know, ruining holiday plans and stuff like that to uh, to get their work done. But yeah, there are some other teams in the Bulls Raptors yeah. tier. Yeah, well, uh, Atlanta's, I, I think, uh, firmly in that tier as well. And and I don't know, when you look at them, you're like, well, there's clearly a lot of talent there. Like, Trey's obviously a very, very good player, even though I called him a weasel after uh, the way that he weaseled the Raptors out of that win on, on Sunday. But we'll just kind of continue in he this is discussion. Weasley. He is totally very weasley, man. He runs weasley. Um, you, you know, like, he's, uh, he's obviously amazing, you know, at what he does offensively, especially. Um, you know, Jalen Johnson's breaking out in a big way. DeJounte Murray, I think, like, makes some sense, I guess, but it just hasn't really fit in, in that kind of context. And they've changed coaches. And they're still, once again, another team that's, like, firmly in the play-in territory. I, I do wonder if they kind of, like, make that kind of decision and go younger. Because they actually have, like, a decent-ish group to go younger towards if you want to get rid of some of the pieces around there. But, Trey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the Hawks should be doing at this juncture. I think the Hawks are in a really tough spot because they just signed DeJounte Murray to a big extension. It hasn't even kicked in. doesn't even kick in until next season. And they already they want him started, gone. And they already want him gone. They also haven't started paying the Spurs back all the trade right. pieces that they made uh, a couple of seasons ago. They owe the Spurs an unprotected first-round pick in 25. They've got a swap with the Spurs in 26 and then another unprotected pick going to San Antonio in 2027. That's a bad time to be bottoming out when you don't have any of your picks and they're going to a team that has a generational prospect who is getting better every single time he touches the floor. So the Hawks, I know, would prefer to keep Trey Young around. He's a marketable player. It was great to see him at the Skyhawks game last night, sitting courtside with his son. He's big time in Atlanta and he does sell some tickets and he's still a good player. I mean, like 27 points a game, amazing, nearly 12 assists, but... Outside of the 2021 run to the conference finals, the results haven't really been there. So I think they'll probably clearly want to move Murray at this point. The return hasn't been what they were expecting. The fit hasn't been as cohesive as they were hoping. So maybe getting a couple of players who could fit better around Trey and theoretically improve the defense would be the move. But it's going to come time when people start looking at blowing it up, which in Atlanta to me means actually trading Trey Young. I don't think they're at that point yet. They'll probably try everything else until then. Uh, but that's the way they could really get some draft capital back. Well, this is uh, I'm going to pivot off of Atlanta because I feel like we brought Trey in to just like blow up all the different teams that you have ties to. Hey, Chicago, <laughs> get out of here. The Raptors, 
Get out of here. The Hawks, well, the Raptors where you are already live out now? Of here, get out of here. Yeah. I guess, although, you know, if the Hawks did blow it up, maybe they'd promote the G League broadcast crew too. And we could get No Dunks doing a Kobe Bufkin's first 30 piece at the NBA level. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, the other team in this Eastern Conference kind of sub play in mess, Trey, is the Brooklyn Nets, who, fun story yesterday, Ben Simmons coming back, having a really nice game off the bench. Mm-hmm. But they're a team that's been pretty without direction as well. I think they thought they'd be better than this post Kevin Durant trade with, with another year of Mikhail Bridges building and things like that. They are a couple games back of the bulls. They're barely hanging on to the 10th spot in the play in. What do you make of where they are directionally right now? I think the nets at the very least should be open for business at the trade deadline, whether that means Dorian Finney Smith or Royce O'Neal, maybe somebody's interested in Nick Claxton, but Brooklyn is in a similar situation that Atlanta is because they owe picks to the Rockets for the first James Harden trade from way, way back. Now they've able, been able to recoup some of that with uh, the Kevin Durant trade to Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, with Harden then going to Philadelphia as well. The guy's moved around a lot, but his picks are still outstanding for Brooklyn. So they can't be terrible right now either because they owe all of their best assets to other teams. So... Right now, I think that they would be wanting to get some additional first-round picks back, just like they have from Phoenix and Philadelphia, ones that are in the middle, which then you can maybe package and do something, put those together going forward and maybe get a really valuable pick. But I think this season for the Nets was kind of just seeing what they actually had, seeing how Mikhail Bridges would do as a number one guy. I think he hasn't totally answered all those questions, uh, considering the way he played last season. But he's a keeper at the very least. You know he's a keeper. Everybody else, though, I would be willing to explore trades. Yeah, that's my question with the Nets is, like, who else are the keepers with that group? Because, like, I'm not saying the Nets have no purpose, like, but sometimes I watch them and just, like, this is just, like, a random group of guys, you know? Like, I don't feel that, like, they have a specific identity or something like, you know the Nets by them doing this. Even Atlanta, to some degree, like, I know them because... That, that's yeah, like, they run more pick and roll than anyone even in yeah, the modern NBA. Exactly, right? So I feel like, well, I mean, Chicago's getting up there now too. But, yeah. you know, still, like, there are certain teams where I just feel like they don't even necessarily have, like, an identity. And I think that that's the thing for Brooklyn is, like, who do you actually move forward with in that group? Like, Their is identity Claxton, is like, the entire roster is guys you would package salary-wise and moderately interesting-wise to get a star because that's what they got mm. as the return for James yeah, Harden well, and Kevin Durant. That, that's what's there, like... Like Cam Johnson, nice player, but three more years at full, like he's already getting paid. Mikael Bridges, really nice player with value, but like clearly not a number one guy at this point. Ben Simmons, fun story, but you're paying him $40 million next year. Like right. it's, a, it's a tough spot to be in. So I'm, I'm with Trey. I think, you know, your Dinwiddies, your Royce O'Neals, your, your DFSs, um, you know, those guys should be very, very available. If they put Nick Claxton available, even though the Raptors shouldn't be in buyer mode right now. I may, I may make a little call on, on that mm. one too. Cause he's, you know, super interesting and still okay. just 24, but yeah, I think, you know, pretty much nothing should be, should be nailed down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would that call look like? The other, the, I don't, I don't know what that call would look like. Yeah, Maybe we like, could talk we about it next week, leaving yeah. in the deadline. But the other, yeah. the other tough part, if you're Brooklyn and like Trey, this is kind of, they could end up in a funny situation where like they trade all these picks away to get guys. Then they trade them away, get all these picks back. All we hear is that, like, yeah, Brooklyn would like to make a play for another star at some point. Like, if you go after, I mean, the Cavs have been too good. They're not, they're never going to get Mitchell. But, but when the ideal. Donovan Mitchell thing made some sense, it's like, okay, but like, are, is this enough? 
like after you make the trade work and stuff, is there even enough here? I don't know. They're, they seem to be, I don't know. I really don't know what to make of what they're doing there. Yeah. They're well, definitely scuffling, and it feels like we are perhaps in the future going to be looking at another picture of their free agent crop, and it's Johan Petro and oh, Martel yeah. Webster all over again. That's an infamous photo. How dare you leave out Jordan Farmar? Yeah. How could you? <laughs> we, we need to bring back the days of, of them Photoshopping Carmelo into a starting lineup that includes Chris Humphreys <laughs> to try to get him oh, to come to New Jersey. People were using Photoshop 2.0 for those, and, and uh, yeah, I mean... It's been a whole era. Yeah. No, it, the whole East playing is, is just hilarious right now because it's none of the guys are particularly happy. Maybe Orlando, I think, to some degree, but they had hit such a high level to start yeah. the year that the fact that they've dropped all the way down to eighth now and they're like two and five in the last seven or something like that. Like the fact that they're in this group with Miami, who've lost seven in a row, uh, Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta's right there, so they're they have the same record as Brooklyn right now, so they could obviously still slide into the play-in. It's like, none of the teams really want to be in that play-in. Man. I like, really, there's no point to the East play-in right now. I really miss, too, delusional Nets fans trying to play the game like they're the Knicks and the Lakers. Like, when HBAP was a thing, I don't know if you remember that, Trey, but, like, Humphreys, mm. Brooks, and a pick, and Nets fans were just, like, sending that package out for every, like, borderline star in the league. Like, even get us back to there, yeah. where, like, at least we can chuckle at, like, the, the kid trying to sit at the adult table when it comes to big markets. We don't even get that right now. Yeah, it's, it's no, tough. we don't. Maybe they'll be in the mix for Donovan Mitchell over the summer. We shall see. One of my favorite fake trades right now is Royce O'Neal somehow getting to the Milwaukee Bucks. Seems like he would fit there, and maybe mm. you could get him for an early second-round pick. I, the thing with that, I mean, we've got to let you go after this, but the thing with that is apparently Royce O'Neal is, like, very good friends with Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. But he's so, a free agent, so uh, you sign you him back later on. anyway. Yeah, anyway. Trey, appreciate you for joining us on the show. We got to take another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. Opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined on the line by Savannah Hamilton. Sav, uh, what's good in Chicago right now? Oh, deep dish pizza is good, yo. Oh, yeah? <laughs> is, is that, is that I, uh, why you only have 15 minutes? You got to dip to get some deep dish? I have to go to the deep dish pizza spot. I know. I got to get it in before the game. No, <laughs> I actually have uh, yet to go get some, but uh, wow. I mean... The weather's nice other than that. Okay. All right. You're dipping for the weather. That's that's fine, too. Yeah, it no, looks like you're getting sunlight there, which we haven't had in the city of Toronto since, like, mid-November, <laughs> oh, I think. Man. So, good for you. I'm glad I'm glad you're getting perks of, of being on the road, Sav. Sav, before we talk Raptor stuff, I got to ask. You, you shared a, a thing the other day on social media, and I know you do this a lot, but your sister is putting up numbers. Holy 
I know. Thank you for acknowledging. She's uh she's doing well overseas. Like she always has been, and I I could brag about her all day long. But like seriously, like she has gotten all stars, MVPs, and so it's no surprise to me that mm. like she's now like I saw that stat. She's getting she's top five in Canadian female professional players overseas in rebounds. And so, and she plays against WNBA players and everything. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. And she's always been really good. Mm. Not going to try to pronounce her Polish team's name, but uh, if you want to fire Neither. up the, the old Euro basket, Polish, uh, Polish scoring leaders and rebounding leaders, you, you'll see her. Yeah. Oceana Hamilton. There you go. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, Savannah's also her unofficial, maybe official agent too. So yeah. <laughs> You, honestly, though, like I'm her promoter, her agent, her marketer, everything. Yeah, brand manager, everything. Yeah, I, get your cut. I, I need someone. Yeah. You know, like there's that new trend now where when Woj and Shams tweet out anything that happens, it's like they tag. They they tag like, oh, Mark Bartlestein, a priority sports. It's you always know, like, Mark Bartlestein. He has yeah. every client somehow. I get the tag. I you should get the tag. tag. Yeah, you should literally get the tag. <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay. For for your for your full time job, uh, to cover the Raptors. Um. Yeah. So. What's what's the mood around like the team? So we just saw actually a video that came around where it was like uh, Gary and Otto going shot for shot. They went like back and forth for like probably 10, 11 rounds. I'm not kidding. The, the clip's like a minute, uh, a minute long. The whole team is just huddled up like watching this whole thing happen. And I won't spoil who finally missed, but it, it just looked like a really fun scene. And I feel like I don't. I mean, you would expect for the team to you know obviously they're like one and nine in the last ten, and they they lost some games, they lost some teammates, but. Still seems like Darko has kept the, the mood high around the team. So I guess we're back to the start this season. What, what are the vibes like? You know what's funny is I was just talking to Jonte yesterday about that too. And he said, considering the amount of like losses that they have taken this mm-hmm. season, especially this past month, um, and for a variety of reasons, we can get into that later. Of course, you guys already touched on it. Uh, the mood is pretty high. I think it's just like, a hey, we're young. We just got to learn. And we're going to learn through trial and fire. Mm. And I think when they have that mentality adopted into it, they're not taking the losses as personal reflections of themselves and more as what can we get better on a tactical st- situation? What can we tackle today to get better for tomorrow? And I think that mental approach has kept the mood still at a bar that's, you know, they're not happy about losing, but they're like, okay with the process of getting better. So I think that's kind of been the vibe around the team, and that's kind of what Jonte was telling me uh, uh, yesterday as well. With specifics, uh, you know, the tactics stuff that they can work on, we, we did hear Darko talk a little bit about, hey, we're back to box-out drills. And, and I don't mean that derisively. Like, there was a no, time... they're actually working on boxing like, out of during practice. During the championship season, Nick yeah. Nurse, like, had the team doing box-out drills too mm-hmm. because their defensive rebounding pre-trade, like when JV was out, I think, had tanked so much with, like, right. surge at center and then you know, Greg Monroe as the backup center. That That's not Thad Young and Jonte Porter as your center I was going to say, rotation. that's way bigger than our Bleak, current but, uh, rotation. Yeah. Um, so what what did you make of that, Seb? Obviously, this team without Jakob Pertl has, like, really struggled to protect the rim. And then a game the other night swings on a, an offensive putback. Um, is that kind of priority one around the, the practices right now? Uh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think if you guys, sounds like you guys listened to Coach talk yesterday as well, and he said that he's he even said we're probably the only NBA team that is practicing box out drills right now, mm. and it kind of goes back to one of those things that I think, especially in the NBA, you get so high level, you, you're doing all these different defenses that sometimes uh, the the basics, the fundamentals of basketball. Mm-hmm can be overlooked at times. And so sometimes you just got to bring it back and remind guys like, hey, we got to box out. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's a habit at the end of the day. Boxing out is an effort thing, but it's also a habit to know to look for your player or the man around you and like put an arm at least on them and then you know it's great if you could put a whole body in front of them because that's the difference even if you just bump them mm -hmm. you know like and i think so i could see why that was a point of emphasis you know jordan nora he did take the bullet he said like, i'll take the hit like that was me like in terms of uh that last possession in atlanta being the being the difference between a win and a loss mm -hmm. and but it but coach Darko also emphasized that it wasn't just that last play alone there's been several plays throughout the game where they were just giving up like easy easy baskets just because they just weren't boxing out so although you don't never want to say that it boils down to one play in particular it was that was just the obvious one right and so i think that was probably one of the catalysts to mm -hmm. uh working on boxing out at practice yeah i mean he was not the only culprit like First off, 20 so offensive rebounds and like almost 80 points in the paint, whether it's box yeah. outs or just your assignments in general. Like, yeah, there's that was not all on Jordan War on his like third day on the job. Sadiq Bay also got seven by himself, um, which is kind of absurd for a guy of his size. But, you know, credit to him and uh, I get the Hawks for the win. I, I think, you know, what this reminded me of is like the start of the season in training camp. There was so much talk that Darko went through about just going through basic passing drills. Like you saw them run drills. That Chris Boucher was describing in the podcast where it was like, Nobody can dribble. Like, you, you're playing five-on-five, five, but nobody could dribble. Yeah, you know? Naismith practice. Yeah, just, like, literally taking it back to the fundamentals, which I feel like for for this group, I mean, they're younger, they're developing. It, it is a totally different kind of perspective as compared to veteran groups. And, like, I'm really happy you brought that up because even for veteran groups, that could be useful. Mm -hmm. uh, you just don't do it as much. But um, I think in general, uh, you know, uh, there's so much talk about evaluating the players, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about sort of how Darko's made his impression in his first year, right? This is his first time being an NBA head coach, and we knew he was big on player development. He came in with an idea to bring in a new offense, maybe simplified the, the defense, I think was probably the new approach um, as well. So, yeah, so how, how do you think Darko has done in terms of his first year bringing some of these new elements in? I mean, it's been quite the first year for him. He's given, he's been given two different rosters, yep. you know, so he's, third he's one coming, maybe he's about to get another one. Yeah. <laughs> Could be another one coming. We'll see. Uh, but I think that overall it's, it's really hard to judge a coach directly when there's been so much change in an organization. Um, I feel like the first half of the season, like record wise and a lot of just familiar, familiar patterns of what we saw the previous season, um, despite the fact that they were still like great on uh, ball movement. That's something that was very standout, like noticeable, mm -hmm. but that clearly wasn't enough to, I guess, move the needle forward, I guess. Uh, and so that's kind of where he was at in the beginning of the season. Now I'm seeing, I, and I kind of think I told you this, Will. I was like, I feel like the test starts when this roster has the adjustments made because it was only a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Like, I think everybody saw the Pascal trade coming. Like, there's been, like, rumors since the summer. Masai even said, like, I think everybody saw it coming, basically. Yeah. So I, I think with that in mind, you're like, okay, am I coaching this team or will I be coaching another team in the future? So you got to kind of keep both in mind. So I, I always thought that was almost like a, not a not fair situation because as a coach you're professional you could adjust to anything mm -hmm. but when it's like coaching a moving target and so now that the target's starting to settle and there still could be another big change as you just guys just said i feel like we could start to analyze how he's going to be developing this roster from now to the end of the season because uh, i mean and then he he also said out yes yesterday at practice that there is no no moral victories um however they still want to win 
but it's also hard to even say like, okay, you want to win, but the, the, the team, need, you're practicing box out dress. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, like you, you still need to go over some of the basics of basketball at this level because the team is so young and has a long like uh, development process to go through. Um, and so I feel like it's hard to make a final verdict of like, is he a good coach or is he a bad coach? Like, no, he's a coach that's coaching a moving target right now. Mm. And he's doing the best to implement the consistency throughout the entire thing, which we actually have seen him do successfully with the assists. Like they're on track right now to have an assist record in the NBA, like historically. So cost and Darko a fortune for those children's hospitals. (laughs) Well, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah, we're good. Um, okay, Sab, so within all that, I, I think you're right about a, a lot of things there, and it's it can be tough to kind of parse through that after every single game, you know? So what do you, you know, they come out tonight, they're going to play Chicago. Maybe maybe we look ahead to, you know, next weekend when they're back off the road and it's post-deadline and that's behind them. Um, while Darko is saying there are no moral victories they want to win, what are you looking at game to game right now what is most important to you the rest of the season if we're being realistic about hey even if they got in the play and they're they're not going to make a ton of noise there no i like you know if, even if they make make it to the plan you know that's great um but because i think even getting a little bit of play in experience or playoff like experience goes a long way regardless so that's still great but I, what I personally look for on a game-to-game basis is just individual progress. Mm. Is this player playing more confidently? What's their decision-making like? I think we're seeing that the most with Grady right now. Yeah. His learning curve this past month has been just significant. Um, and both his, I feel like his decisiveness, I feel like the game is slowly starting to slow down for him a little bit more now. Um, we're seeing his three-point shooting also become a bit more consistent it's not always but you know even last game he he was three for five and he even talked about the fact that that just came from knowing how to pick his spots better read the defense and find his spacing a little bit more do the work before the shot and so he's talking to me like in those terms now rather than like oh I shoot with confidence Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's a bit more specific in what they're looking for um and 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 so I think that's encouraging I think uh, like players like that. Um, and then we're still learning more about Jordan Nora. We're still learning more about Jonte, although we have a pretty good sample size of him now. Um, and he's even telling me that he's learning so much himself at this level. Like he's still learning how to make adjustments on defensive rotations and cover the paint better, especially without Yaka being there. Now he's forced to be kind of the main guy in the center. So it's just such a learning curve. And I, I'm just kind of looking for the individual progress on a game-to-game basis and see how it comes together collectively. And I guess my last point for that would be Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see him just be a lot more assertive in the game earlier. So if I see that assertiveness come, you know, out, anywhere outside of the fourth quarter, mm. I see that as progress. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing that, like, that's the main reason people are tuning in right now, is to see this group and how these young guys grow. And I think in terms of just the nice adjustment to make, at least as a viewer, to me is like, a lot of these games don't have the same pressure. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, like, dire in a way that, like, the bench comes in and they give up a lead and the next day it's like, I can't believe the Raptors lost that game because of the fourth quarter. You know, this unit didn't work. And this, like, we don't have those discussions anymore. All we really talk about is just, like, how did this guy do as compared to yesterday? And, you know, I think for the, for them, obviously, for the players, I think this is, like, an easier environment to at least, like, 
get through some of those initial bumps, especially for a guy like Grady, right? Before it was like if Grady comes in and he stinks and the Raptors blow a 10-point lead, then all of a sudden people feel bad about Grady. Now it's just like, all right, let's just see how it goes for him. He looks much more free in how he operates. Now, of course, you know, you want to see more, like, um, competitiveness in general. But, I mean, you know, you, you see that in certain games. The one guy you didn't la- name in that list is uh, Jordan Nwora, you know, breakout star from the last game in Atlanta. Me and Blake were having a discussion about this in terms of just, like, what Jordan can be in this league. He has been in the league for a little bit as well. But your initial thoughts on Jordan since coming over to the Raptors, he finally got those minutes and he, he showed up. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of cool. Like, I feel like... For me, I'm always like, I need a, a good sample size before I make any okay. opinions. That goes for good and bad. Um, so I would like to see that again from him. Like, if he can do it again tonight, okay. Like, I think we're looking at a real a real player. And I'm not saying he's not already because he already has some traction in the league. And that actually wasn't even, like, his highest scoring game in the league. I, th- I believe his highest scoring game in the league was, like, 33 or 34 points before. He set so a Pacers record for points in a quarter. Which is pretty impressive. They've had some good players. That's pretty in the impressive. Yeah. Didn't Reggie Miller so, score like thirty points in a minute once at the end? <laughs> That's the whole. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, every no, 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 Reggie Miller was. Down. That was like twelve points in like thirty seconds or something. I was crazy. Anyways. Yeah, Wara had thirty-four as a rookie with the Bucks. Okay, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm like, he's showing sparks of, um, I guess, excellence in a sense that he has it in him to like play at that level. Now for me, it's like, okay, let's see if he could do it consistently. Mm. Cause that's when, that's when I'll be like, okay, this guy's cool. Like, this is a good player. Um, but, but for now I'm just gonna, I'm just holding back my assessment until I see just more. That's all. Got you. I'm the, I'm the guy who, after the first date, my expectations are sky high. I'm like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is it right here. Jordan or no, honestly, I think my expect what was so great about the Nora performance was like, I haven't seen a Raptor give that good of a performance off the bench in a, quite a long time. Now, of course, that speaks to, like, Raptors haven't had a lot of depth. But seriously, when was the last time you saw a guy come off the bench and play that well for the Raptors? It's been a minute. It's been a minute, at least from a, a yeah. scoring uh, perspective. Yeah. By the way, that record he set with the Pacers is he tied it uh, with Reggie Miller for most points in a quarter by okay. Pacer, 25 points. 25 points in a quarter. Uh, also against Atlanta, by the way. Maybe he's just an Atlanta merchant, <laughs> you know? So. Uh, by the way, we got to throw out his 34-point career high as a rookie. I looked it up. It was the last game of the 72-game season. Oh, and one of those such deals? a meaningless game that Thanasis started. No, man. Thanasis <laughs> is a Game 82 specialist, man. <laughs> Mamadi Diakate also started. Uh-huh. Uh, Sam Merrill and okay. Jeff Teague. I, I wonder if he's ever Listen, talked about this one on the show. Listen, let him have his moment. Yeah. Yeah. Let him oh, have his record, right. Blake. All right, my bad. Stop going into the detail. Let- he had 34 uh, points. Okay? I just clicked it. That's all. He had no help period. with those 34 points, it seems like. Too. Yeah. See? Boom. He Even was, more impressive. No, nah, he was eating uh, off Thanasis' plate. That's why he got traded. <laughs> He got sent to Indiana after. No, I, I think but my point is that yeah, the 33-point yeah. game where he had 25 and a quarter is his career best night, even if it wasn't a career high in, uh, yeah. in points that night. All right. Well, he can shoot it, man. That's uh, that's it. always going to get you chances in the league when you're 6'8", and you that's can right. hit a high 30s percentage of threes. But like Savannah wisely said, you want to see it more for more than one game. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what Jordan does tonight, for example. But... Savannah, we got to let you go. I appreciate you. We will see you on the broadcast. And, um, you know, I, I hope you got a walk-off interview. You know, that's all. We'll see. Uh, listen, <laughs> it's, my... Uh, it's been a minute. I, they only I have it after wins. I just develop. Oh, okay. Develop their walk-off uh, interview skills. Love to see that, too, you know? Yeah. Actually, I will say this. One huh? thing is that these guys are very well-spoken. They're very well-spoken. Okay. 
Nice. Yeah. yeah. Jonte is a big find in that regard. And then, yes. uh, I mean, he hasn't had a, an NBA moment yet, but mm -hmm. Kyra Lewis was on the show with us yesterday yeah. uh, and was uh, was fun as well. So another personality there, maybe for post-trade deadline for you, Seth. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Also, awesome. it's like nothing but Sportsnet games the next day. Like, we've got... We've got, oh, I like I have, it. I have so many TV dates, like pregame TV dates coming up. Yeah. Like, man, we got every, we they, got every game. They even got me tonight. Yeah. Catch me on the pregame with Danielle Michelle. Nice. the program um love that for you guys all right savannah we'll let you go have see you right. enjoy Thank the deep guys. dish yeah i appreciate you see ya yeah yeah I, I guess we do have to see more than one game with jordan noir i'm not gonna lie though i've rewatched his performance specifically twice already from this okay so from atlanta so i feel of two minds about this because i agree yeah. with what sab is saying and it's a new situation and you want to see more from a guy than than just one good outburst um i i I actually kind of feel, and this is, like, people who know me know it's rare for me to, like, hand wave away, like, a, a good young player coming yeah, through yeah. in a bench role. Like, I, I love the player development stuff. But I love this the is your lane. Stuff. Yeah. We have four years of Jordan Wara playing rotation minutes on good teams with mm. good teammates around him and stuff. Like, I'm going to need to see a lot of Jordan Wara doing what he did the other night before I take that over the much larger sample we have yeah. of him where like Indiana's crafting out play designs for him to get into his bag. Milwaukee, he's getting every open shot you can imagine um, playing or spacing around uh, Giannis and with how many, you know, top threes that that system generated and stuff. So I'm not saying that, you know, there's nothing there again. He's six mm -hmm. foot eight and can shoot. He could definitely catch a shoot. And has yeah. four years in the league as you know a, a fringe rotation player on good teams like that's that's good information he's an nba player mm -hmm. but you know the 24 points the some self-creation the six assists i'm gonna need to see a little bit more of that before i'm like okay something's yeah. clicked for him versus um and you know maybe it does because some guys like like milwaukee is a very structured offense when he was there indiana despite the free-flowing nature of mm -hmm. tyrese's game is it like we've heard Bruce Brown talk about it too? It's a pretty structured offense in terms mm -hmm. of where you get your stuff. So maybe the little bit of extra freedom he'll have here helps something click. Uh, I'm just going to need to see a little bit more of it because we do have, you know, a lot, a lot of like, like he's played 3,000 NBA minutes. We we yeah. have an idea of of Jordan Wara coming into this. No, I mean, I, I think and from, he's older than Gary. The, the question I gave to you was has Jordan Noir or is there a potential for Jordan Noir to be like a cheaper version of Gary in, in Gary's role, right? And And I think for me, um, it really just so depends on obviously how well he catches and shoots. That's mm -hmm. probably the one like main skill he's brought wherever he's gone. Yeah, and um, he's, he can sit around forty percent with that. Like if he if he yeah, took out the yeah. pull up threes that Indiana was happy to let him take, in you know he's been like a low thirties pull up three yeah. guy, even going back to college, which is kind of interesting because he is a guy who is pretty good at catch and shoots. I think part of that is also just the release is quite low. Yeah, but um, even aside from that, like he he can shoot. He's got. The tools to play defense, that's, that's what Darko said, was yeah. he's got all the tools to play defense, but he wants to challenge them to get better on that end. Like, I, I don't know, man. There, there's maybe a 3 and D kind of guy there in the future. So. Yeah, I think there's an NBA place for Jordan War. I think that's yeah. like you don't play 3,000 minutes on good teams um, and not have some NBA skills that are, that are worth And it's not like it, he was a lottery pick that teams just kept giving chances. He was uh, a second-round second round pick who played yeah. his way into this. Like, yeah. there, there's a guy there. I just, like... Kind of like Gary, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, similar, similar, yeah, to Gary. And, you know, I think... But Gary was super young when he came in. Yeah. And Jordan is, is an older prospect. Yeah, he's, like, 20, he's older 25 than 25 years right old, and, and, you know, I'm, I don't want to write that off. Lots of guys get better in, into their, their mid and late 20s. Um, you know, I would just worry too a little bit about... 
framing it as war or Gary when there are also a lot of other players mm. out there in the NBA and, and you know it's uh the thing that is tough sometimes with evaluating Gary Trent over his years in Toronto and now with war is when you are a team that has so little shooting anyone who can shoot Everyone feels like good. such a like it feels like a, an oxygen mask right for the mm. offense to have a guy come in and but if you're roster was structured with like more shooting available like maybe you don't even notice a, a jordan war impact obviously you over, you notice a 20 but that's what happened with like indiana for example yeah. like and also indiana did like to be fair to him they did sign you know obi toppin who took away some of his yeah. minutes on the wing bruce brown who took away a lot of his minutes on the wing so like it, it is also a situation where he was a bit of an odd man Poor out jordan war probably saw the news He's like oh bruce brown's trade i'm gonna get some minutes He's like ah oh. <laughs> Ah, oh, I'm going with him. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens after the trade deadline. But yeah. it's a little interesting to talk about him in terms of like, well, his minutes versus Bruce Brown versus Gary Trent because like he's six eight. He has a, he has a power forward body. He looks like a power forward. He yeah. moves like a power forward, but he really does have kind of like a three slash two skill set. Right. Which is kind of interesting in, yeah. in some regard. I actually would have preferred a Noir type for the Raptors in the previous iteration when they were Vision 6'9". Yeah. Just another well, big just guy who can, who can shoot, right? Exactly. And, yeah. like, you look at what hasn't worked out for McDaniels in Toronto, and part of that is, like, yeah. I mean, part of it is he just hasn't been nearly as good as he was in Philadelphia or Charlotte. I, maybe because you're playing yeah. off Lamelo and Joel Embiid. Maybe just because you're, you're just not comfortable here or whatever. But, like, right. the shots haven't dropped when he's gotten the opportunity, so. Um, the other question I had in here about NDP, uh, Nora Dick Porter, is um, about Grady Dick. And yeah, he is looking better. You keep singing this uh, NDP line. I'm trying to push. There's yeah. there's different versions of this. There's also DNP. You know when they they get pushed down Ooh. the rotation and they did not That's play. That's cruel, man. There's also PND, the party next door. You okay. know for the Toronto connection. I don't see how that specifically connects to these three individuals. Nah. But you could, you know, maybe they need a break from yeah, Toronto the when they go to the 905. You'd be like party next year. Yeah, <laughs> so they're gonna they're the future party. I don't know. Um, it's it's not good either way. Yeah, I don't know. NDP is probably the best one here. I think, yeah. but um. With with Grady, um, there's there's obviously he he's playing more confidently. Sad talked about that. I think I want to see Grady because this came up because uh, he had the conversation with Kyle Korver mm-hmm. before the game, and that you know uh, Savannah reported on that as well, which was great. You know, I love to hear that perspective on just like you know um, how he's going to learn from a guy like Kyle. And they said that they talked at the time of the draft. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, can you give me one non-white comp for Grady Dick, please? The way he plays. You know what I mean? Because I'm just I'm tired. It's like Duncan Robinson. It's a Kyle Korver. Uh, I, I, at some point, I even heard Tyler Hero, and I'm like, he does not play like Tyler Hero no. at all to me. Like, um, sorry. Quickly off the top of my head, and this would be like a yeah, yeah, 100th yeah. percentile outcome. Like, yeah, like okay. Buddy Healed is the model okay. of like a, right. a, a, to, no, to do a non-white comp of like someone who's very heavily movement shooting based, has a little bit of passing, but it's all passing that's created by their gravity mm-hmm. and the way defenses respond to them offensively. Um, maybe this is just watching a lot of Pacers lately. I just I, I hear you, man. I, I, I love watching the Pacers. Every time I look at Buddy Hield's stat line, I'm like, he's only averaging 12 points. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, but he, like, never misses Dude, but he's a moving threat at all times. Exactly. Like, one of the Pacers' best plays is just Buddy Hield runs over yeah. and fakes screens and just taps a guy on, yeah. like, literally the hip and we then runs Gary past him. We see Gary do it all the time, the ghost screen, but it's Buddy Hield instead, who's, like, a career 40% three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of and they're they're not I like similar yeah. like, like Buddy's a guard. Like, I Grady's, feel like Grady's got four inches on him. Grady just, plays with more athleticism in a weird way. Even though I feel like Buddy's more athletic, Grady. The funniest thing watching Grady right now for me is every time he jumps, he jumps to hundred percent like yeah. capacity. Like no matter what, like just a regular rebound, he's this guy's jumping to his max vert each time. He's playing like so all out that I feel like even if his athleticism isn't as much as someone like Buddy Heald, he's using it as any opportunity he can. Yeah. 
But anyway, off the top of my head, that kind of like everything you do is about the gravity you create and your movement off the ball. Um, That's kind of, you know, the arch. But like, again, Grady's not the same guy. He's he's bigger, which, you know, you're going to use him differently and use him in different situations. I kind of think that's why people do the Duncan Robinson thing a lot because it's like, oh, a tall guy can get his shot off differently than like Redick or whatever. Right. Um, Like the Redick comps are like ridiculous because like there's like seven inches of difference there. Mm -hmm. And JJ Redick had to become like the least best conditioned athlete and learn that little hit ahead drill anyway um yeah we don't need to do only white comps is i think your point here um i mean it's not even a my point is just like well i just need one good comp for him you know what i mean like yeah yeah even for propaganda purposes yeah yeah gotta the the thing can't even give him like cross like continental like what if you gave him like a pager you know what i mean like at least it's not okay (laughs) so you said non-white but you just mean like (laughs) non-american no, uh, I mean, no. like, come on, man. People would be like, yeah, he's the Sam Hauser type. I'm like, what What type is that, man? Yeah. Just just tell me what you really mean. But yeah, um, Sam Hauser <laughs> is not a guy who is a type. Man. Uh, okay, I got uh, one last thing on. I okay, mean, we'll do Bulls Raptors preview in, in the yeah. final segment. But there's no way he's listening. But I did want to say uh, this game's in Chicago tonight. Happy 70th birthday to Chuck Yeah, Swirsky. That's right. First of all, I did not know he was 70. He, he does looks- not look 70. Man, he looks the exact same as when he was in Toronto. This is not me casting up. I yeah. saw him like two weeks ago when he was here with the with the Bulls. Yeah, sports radio very good to age you slowly because you just have to sit around and watch sports, and talk to people online. Oh, that's what they say about sports uh, <laughs> sportscasters for sure is that we age gracefully. That's yeah. that's definitely what happens when you eat the. That's uh, us. Poor Samson on the show yesterday getting flamed in the YouTube comments about lying about his age because he's bald. <laughs> What, what was the joke? I saw one comment that was like, there's no way you're 21. I mean, Samson's he clear is not joke. 21. He okay. made a joke about being 21 one time, and then, like, people have ran with it. And anyway, it's all, right. uh, it's all very amusing. <laughs> Let's take a break right, before, uh, yeah, before this goes off the rails any uh, further. This is what happens. Savannah dropped the call, and then we just became unserious. It, it was great. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about deep dish pizza now. You know what? Deep dish pizza? Kind of overrated. That's another spicy take. Overrated a little bit Why as am I a, eating a pie. Overrated a little bit as a it's more like a casserole, right? Like it's uh yeah, that's No, I, but like what are you supposed to do with all that crust, man? It's all dry and stuff. There's you, you have dipping sauce. So like, I will say, like at the chain level, yeah. absolutely agree. If you go to like a good sit-down pizza spot in Chicago, though, you can find spots I, where you get it. But I did. I went to like Lou Minolti's or whatever. It's like one of like the original classic spots. Shouts yeah, to Josh Hart. Yeah. You know, um, you know, uh that was his bachelor party. And, nice. you know, so we all went to this place and it was proper and everything like that. And I was eating it and I'm like, that's definitely enough for me. That's a though. lot of crust, man. That's a lot of yeah. crust. You're not gonna feel good after. No, I don't even feel but care about the feeling good. I just like I just felt like the ratios were off, man. Like yeah. I, I guess I prefer the opposite. It's not my favorite style of yeah. pizza either, but uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna take this break because we've run out <laughs> of topics. Uh, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Yos Van Loom, Joe Mike, co-host Blake Murphy. Um, yeah, during the break, I also challenged myself to find a, a Grady Dick comp that wasn't white and um, struggled with it, at least in the league right now. So message me. This one, I'm just opening this up to people, all right? The rules are they just can't be all American white. That's all. Just give me one comp for Grady that is, you know, not that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
It's the because I'm looking for a movement, three point shooting, a little comps, bit of a, a little bit of playmaking. Anyway, but. yeah, I, I I hear you. You're right. And a little bit of athleticism. Yeah, you know, also got to be pretty bad defensively to make it work. Yeah. Okay. It's a difficult challenge. There just aren't a lot of guys like that. There just aren't Which a lot of guys like that. Which is how one right. when one comes along, he gets picked in the lottery. Um, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to go around the NBA, and I wanted to start with the New York Knicks, who are just awesome to watch. Like, honestly, probably the most fun team to watch right now in the league, which is, I never thought I'd say that about the Knicks, especially uh, Tom Thibodeau's Knicks, but 13-2. and two. Tosh Gibson's back. Tosh Gibson is back with exclamation mark. Uh, mark Bartle's team put in the extra payment to Woj for that one. Um, no, 13-2 and two record since January 1st. Bing! They're honestly, they got to be. Where, where are those side, you know, talk videos? Because I feel like they should be doing way more of those. 13 and 2. My, my guess is that, well, it's Knicks fans, so they're probably not thinking about these things rationally, but like they got real excited and then like it didn't happen. I wonder if you temper that a little bit. Like, I don't know. Like man. Raptors fans in 20, at the end of 2018, weren't talking the way they were talking at the end of 2016. You know what I mean? I don't think the Knicks fans got humbled in any degree. I, I don't think Knicks they need fans. to be. I don't either. think they could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that but, was after an opening night. Uh, win by the yeah. way last season that which was which is the best part they beat the the celtics i think yeah uh, well, and then they we, were immediately being like you know kevin durant don't you wish you came to the knicks yeah i love uh, those guys i mean in retrospect maybe honestly he does they kind of had a point but don't uh, worry they got og now yeah i mean look og didn't even play last night so they yeah. lost julius randall it's they're saying it's a matter of weeks not months with a dislocated shoulder that can be obviously finicky yeah. randall plays a physical style so he's gonna have to be right. a thousand percent sure that that he's feeling good mm -hmm. um and then OG oh by the way you said on yesterday's show that you've also dislocated your yeah. shoulder before how'd you dislocate your shoulder playing hockey Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so this one, uh, it still clicks if I go like this, like the tendon still catches sometimes. Damn. It's fine. All right. Yeah, don't hit, don't hit people from behind is, uh, oh, is what, what I would like to request. <laughs> oh, this is like... Uh, people... Oh, you were, you were hit from behind. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not hitting anyone from Okay, behind. I was like, damn, I didn't know I was co-hosting with Todd Bertuzzi. I'll you right to your face. <laughs> I don't need to... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, right, I'm... Yeah, the gloves. No Bertuzzi, I'm more the kipper type. It's like, I'll let you know what's Got coming. Got you. Yeah, uh, no, I was... Uh, I'm five foot ten. There's a reason that I didn't make junior... Uh, in the end, oh, okay. uh, look. So the the Knicks played yesterday without Julius Randle. Mm, they yeah, played without OG, who was dealing with elbow soreness. Right. Um. So they started, and, and they're without Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, yeah which, right. Which should be safe. so they're starting Isaiah Hardenstein, Josh Hart, Precious Achua. Yep. In that game, and it was the Hornets. So who cares? I guess. No, but, but they like boat race the Hornets. Like they, yeah, they yeah, yeah. crushed them. And this is a Hornets team that I understand they just trade away Terry Rozier, but like mm -hmm. it's Terry Rozier, man. Like yeah, I know. Like this is a Hornets team that. They're still an NBA team. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, still play, an they NBA played team. the Raptors a certain way. <laughs> uh, they did beat the uh, Raptors earlier this year, which is not even the, the worst loss of the year. Um, yeah, the, the the Knicks went 17 for 21 in the third, third quarter for 44 points. Yeah. I, okay, I, just how how good are the Knicks? Because, like, 13-2 and two is, like, contender-level good um, since the trade. But, like, and when you look at the roster, it's not a team that you would say is, like, okay, I'm going to pencil this team to go to the conference models, for example. But... They're just rolling. They're crushing teams. Like yeah. the Denver and, Nuggets go in their building and they destroy them. The Minnesota Timberwolves go in there and they beat them. Like the Raptors go in there and they beat them. On the season, uh, they're up to fifth in net rating in the entire yeah. season. So this is like obviously it's inflated by the last little bit, but they're good, man. They were good before, which is why this trade made sense where you can trade two guys mm -hmm. for one and maybe not even long-term get the best player in the deal. And it's still a huge win for you. So um, look, they, they had... 
to juggle Jericho Sims, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Precious Achua across two big man spots yesterday and then play small with Josh mm-hmm. Hart at the four the rest of the time. Like, this is a team cobbling it together and still looking that good. Um, you get Julius Randle back eventually. I don't, it doesn't sound like it's the type of injury that you have to overreact to in trade. Okay. OGs sounds day to day. But even when this team was cooking, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, there's still a bench guy short. Mm. And they need, you know, a little, they like, they they feel the Emmanuel quickly loss. Yeah, they do. Or, or if not the Emmanuel quickly loss directly, the fact that they could bring RJ out of the starting lineup and have him lead the second unit in a way that you can't really do with OG and You could stagger Randall mm. and Brunson, um, but they probably need one more bench piece. They're in really good shape to add one, though, because they have Evan Fournier's basically dead contract. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of picks. They didn't have to get, they gave up one second in the, right. the Raptors trade. They have the assets to do it. Now, we've heard forever that the Knicks don't want to blow too many of their assets because they always want to be in the mix for a star. What I would say is if Randall gets back healthy in time mm-hmm. and they could turn Fournier in a first into like a really solid bench piece. They, they should have, do it. They have a case to be maybe like they're no one's on the level of Boston as a regular season team, but I do think the Knicks were like pre Randall injury one piece away from being in the tier with Philly and Milwaukee, at least as a regular wow. season team. Yeah. They're good, man, and they're tough. They're, and they're so hard to tough. play That's against thing, because, yeah. like, you can turn the tap off on Randall or Brunson, but like, it's really hard to do both. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Thibodeau's teams are just they play smart and tough yeah. and physical. They don't give you anything in terms of extra possessions. Yeah, they're good, man. My only thing with them is like, like most Tom Thibodeau teams, I feel like they probably won't have another gear to flip to no. in the re- in the playoffs because they're already playing that hard and that prepared in the regular season, but. Still, Dante DiVincenzo, 42 minutes, Dude, man. every time he comes in the game, he's playing great defense and banging yeah. a bunch of threes. Like, it's... He took 15 three-point attempts last night. <laughs> yeah, you could do whatever you want against the Hornets, man. Yeah. Um, no, the Knicks are... The Knicks, I, I forgot the report that the Knicks are actually really fun to watch. By the way, a hilarious so. sub thing in this game. What's up? They lost Julius Randle in a game where, like, you could justify having him on the court still, but, like, they were up big with, like, four minutes left uh, when he got hurt. Yeah, I mean... Last night... A thinned out Knicks team is up by 20 plus against the Hornets. Mm. They didn't put their bench pieces in until like a minute and a half left in the game. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tibbs is going to Tibbs, man. He's got a brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is his, this is his thing. I'm trying to see Charlie Brown Jr., Malachi Flynn, and Ryan Archie Diacono. Yeah. That's yeah. the real DNP. I don't care what <laughs> the initials are. That's crazy. That's that's a DNP because um, they don't need to play. So um, if we assume Randall's back and like the OG thing only sounds like day to day, it doesn't sound like yeah. anyone's too worried. Let, let's assume Randall gets back by the by the playoffs enough to be healthy what type of guy or what guy specifically do you think suits the knicks i mean ideally um you want somebody with a little bit more size because i do feel like overall they're a bit undersized the thing is all the shorter guys are all play bigger than their height yeah that's the thing i love all the knicks brunson is going to take charges all over the place josh hart is the most physically imposing six four six foot four guy you've seen like he reminds me of like almost like a younger PJ Tucker in the way where he's like getting every rebound and, and but he also has more of an offensive package. He's pushing a break. It's, it's funny like this guy will give triple doubles and stuff, which is like ridiculous for a guy who's his his role his size. The idea of Josh Hart now has to start because Randall's out, so they go out and get Bruce Brown to be the Josh Hart replacement as yeah. another uh, like six foot four guy who plays like he's six nine. Yeah, I think ideally they get one more wing with some mm-hmm. size who can also play some offense. But if short of that, which is pretty difficult to do with just one first round pick, like. Yeah, I mean, go go get yourself. Like, I like your idea of, like, can you get a Clarkson yeah. into this roster? You know what I mean? Like, just somebody who can get their own offense a little bit for the second unit. The thing is, like, those type of players generally struggle in the playoffs, I feel like. 
Yeah. You know, maybe I'm just like too scarred from like Lou Williams going from like six men like Lou Will to like, oh wow, like he's not going to be playable in this was in this Wizards series as the Raptors get swept. Like that style of player. I mean, even quickly had the same struggles with them last year where some of it was also injuries, but like he couldn't play the same game he did in the regular season in the playoffs in that kind of role. So, you know, um, maybe. But I mean, Clarkson is also like a, a tier above those, some of those guys. Like he's also really, really good. So yeah, the Jazz are like if the Jazz were a couple games worse, they have a couple of cool guys mm-hmm. like that. Like mm-hmm. Colin Sexton is better than like get him as a bench piece, but he's got two more years really affordably on his yeah. deal. Like like he'd be a really nice ex, like sixth man piece for someone to pick up or even sure. fifth starter. Um, I don't know that they'll and this isn't a fit for the Knicks, but like Kelly Olynyk should be in a playoff game like yeah. he's an expiring okay. contract who right. like I, I think someone would want but i could also see why the jazz would keep him because they're in this kind of in between i actually don't mind him potentially as, as a knicks can i mean i know he's not like the the two types of uh players i'm describing here but yeah i mean the knicks are good and they have the potential to get more the, on the opposite side of the spectrum the heat are terrible these days yeah lost seven in a row they're zero four since the kyle Lowry trade that's what you get oh, actually sorry one last thing oh, brogdon would be really nice oh, brogdon knicks, would be even sick. though yeah. he's uh even though he's you know again a, another guard so you're you get the offense but you don't get the yeah. size but you do get a little bit more switchability with him too so, sure yeah um I, th- I, I wonder if you that. could get him for Fournier and just a first. I mean, they have so many firsts. Just throw in a second one. Who cares? Yeah. Like, I mean, not who cares, but like still, I, I would try to invest in this group. This is like the best moment I've seen from the Knicks in in, in probably quite some while. Um, yeah, right. the Heat, Heat are terrible. Heat down bad. Set, lost seven in a row. Uh, in those seven games, the Heat are the worst offense in the league by a full two points per game. All right. Jimmy Butler's only taking 12 shots per game in the stretch too, which, you know, he has come back from injury and, it has somehow made them a little bit worse. They're losing by an average of 16 points a game. They got watched again last night. Yeah, just why are, why are they so bad? And also, is this another, you know, rope and dope by the Heat? Because I'm, I'm also like, I never can rule out the Heat just because of that. So I don't think it's a full rope and dope. Okay. Because, look, there's some to what you're saying, right? Like Jimmy Butler has another gear in the playoffs. Bam Adebayo, for whatever reason, just is bad in January and February every year. Mm. I don't. I don't really understand. Maybe that that heat conditioning program just like oh, works at the start and the end. Um, and uh, like, look, I, I yep. think people who have known my stuff for a while, even though this trade is fine, I'm not a big Terry Rozier guy. Like, I, I didn't didn't love that move as the use of Kyle Lowry's contract and a first round pick, even right. if even okay. if I understand why. Um, I just don't. It's tough. Like Duncan Robinson has really come back down to earth mm-hmm. after having such a great start to the season. Um, Jaime Hawkes, I mean, maybe I'm over-indexing to last night. He was really bad last night Yeah, uh, in that Suns game. Um, like, this is a team that is still, like, rely on Kevin Love for, for rotation minutes. Right. They just, like, it's so hard when you are constantly doing the thing where, and you have to do this if you're the Miami Heat, you're going to sustain for a long time. But, mm-hmm. like, and we joked about it at the start of the season. Like, you let Gabe Vincent go, you let uh, Max Struess go, and, like, you Max just find, a nice season and you just yeah. find the next one. But that's really hard to do year over year. So, like, yeah. if, you know, they, they got Hawkes, but, like, Jovich doesn't look like a guy that they trust. None of the the Drew Smith types have really clicked for them this year. Haywood Highsmith is nice defensively, but, like, it's tough to play him and another non-offensive player um, just because of what it does for, for your spacing and stuff. So, um, it's tough. It's... Uh, it's tough. And apparently, okay, so Amit just sent us something. Uh, Bam said there was a film session today with candid communication among everyone in which the players were vulnerable with each other and they now have clarity. Mm. An intense, resolute spo said nothing discussed 
was any of the media's business. Uh, that was per Barry Jackson after he practiced today. That group therapy? Yeah. Nice. Basically, air it out. That's cool. I like that. Honestly, that's a big part of every team is, like, you got to be able to talk openly and honestly yeah. with people. And sometimes that re- results in, like, difficult emotions jumping out and, yeah. like, little clashes. But, I mean, you remember one of the big turnarounds for the Heat uh, or one of the more seminal moments was, like, Jimmy Butler going at Spo and UD be on the sideline mm-hmm. and essentially, like, kind of ran. I don't know. It's so much of this is, like, heat propaganda or like heat culture or whatever yeah. but I, I do believe that in certain to a certain degree I mean, like heat culture is not that you'll never have problems it's that if you have a moment like this yeah, like you, you can, actually you say can survive it, it. exactly yeah, as well there's that there's still that level yeah. of trust um mm. i don't know I, I i have a little trouble figuring out how i actually feel about the heat because dude i feel very differently about kyle lowry than i do about terry rosier so okay uh, i kind of almost want i don't want the trade to not work because the heat are interesting and stuff but like it wouldn't kill me if the trade kind of backfired. No, it, it totally wouldn't, too. I mean, I would love to see the Heat just, like, you know, not make it in the playoffs and, and, and do their whole thing because it feels like they're set up once again to, like, win the play-in tournament, then upset somebody, and then just, like, ruin it and then not win the championship, which is, like, kind of their go-to move at this point. I, I think the other thing, too, is just it's hard about with the Heat because so much of it feels like smoke and mirrors in a way. Like, they're the ultimate smoke and mirrors They've team. done it to us so many times, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I don't, and I don't really know what to make of it. Is like, okay, well, they they just keep doing it. So I guess you trust it until uh, until they show they can't do it anymore. I don't know. I mean, they know that their offense needs help. That's yeah. like that's why they've been trying to get like scoring guards, which is going to be so you know important to just the, making any offense work really, especially so nowadays. But this yeah. doesn't control for pace, uh, so it's just points per game. But do you know who the Heat score better than on a points per game basis in the Eastern Conference? Who? The Charlotte Hornets, and that is it. Ah, man. Wow. Yeah, I mean, look, listen, I I don't think Kyle was helping with that. That's the thing. Kyle (laughs) was watching in terms of him scoring the ball. He's still going to find other little gaps, but I don't know. Rozier has not, like, hit the ground running by any means. He was 3 of 11, 3 of 10, 4 of 12, 8 of 14. But, I mean, the other thing, too, is just I just feel like they don't give the ball to Jimmy or Jimmy doesn't take over. Like, Jimmy might have, like, the the veteran version of, like, the thing that we complain about Scotty. I was like, you know, just take over a little earlier. Which is really... He takes a, 12 shots a game in this stretch, man. I know. There's no way that if you're the worst offense in the league and you're Miami, that Jimmy only taking 12 shots. Tell you it's this, ridiculous. Though, if Scotty is going to secretly, until we find out in a year or two, like, have that, oh, also I have another level in the playoffs that I'll bring every yeah. year, I'm all for it. Let, let him be Jimmy Butler in the regular Dude, season if he's going to be Jimmy Butler I would in the love playoffs. for that to be a progressive, um, like, or I, the, like a trajectory that he'd be on. I actually, I looked up not that long ago when we were talking about Scotty's usage and it had settled in uh, just a little below 25% with Pascal. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I think when the first all-star voting came out and I was looking like, okay, how many guys make all-star, you know, being a lower usage number one? How many guys make all NBA being a lower usage number one? And yeah. it's about like 15% of all NBA guys okay. can come in at like 25% usage or lower. Mm. And a lot of those are like the the center, like a real yeah. bear type center. Sure. But the one example that kept coming up of a guy who has like 25 to like 24 to 26% usage and is always in the all NBA conversation is Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Obviously very different players stylistically, but it does show you that you can come about yeah. being an all NBA level player without being a superstar level usage guy. Sure. But that's the thing I was saying with, with with Scotty to start the program was just like if he gets that one go-to move that's really rehearsed that he can go to all the time that defenses will always have to take away from him otherwise he's scoring with that no matter what like kind of what Jimmy has right now with the mid-range jumper like that he's like really you know I mean I don't need to explain Jimmy Butler's game but like yeah Scotty with that level of mid-range would be like an absolutely devastating player in addition to what he's already currently doing because he already does so many things so well and it's just like you add that one go-to scoring move as well 
just change the I just just levels you up, you know. Um, it, it does. So maybe we'll see it from Scotty tonight. We know Demar yeah. has that go-to uh, move. It's a pump fake move. So it's time now oh, for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Yeah. Take a chance. Uh, the Raptors are six and a half point dogs. The over/under set at two twenty-seven. Uh, injury updates: uh, RJ Barrett remains out. Okay. Manuel quickly is doubtful. Mm. Jakob Pertl is questionable. So maybe okay. we get Jakob Pertl back tonight. On the Bulls side, uh, Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, Tori Craig, and of course Lonzo Ball. Uh, still out. I so, forgot about him. Yeah. yeah um, so some interesting ones here because these teams have seen each other three times. There was obviously the comically yeah. bad game to start the season. A Oof. pretty interesting, good then bad game a couple weeks ago where, again, they played a lot of small mm-hmm. against the Bulls. We saw Scotty all over the place defensively. DeMar, yeah. uh, Vucevic, whatever. Um, what are you looking for matchup-wise in this one? I think the guy who's given the Raptors a ton of problems in this matchup is is Vucevic. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if Jakob's in, that's going to help a ton because I think they were really struggling to cope with uh, Chicago's size. They were going to the glass. Vucevic, you know, down there, but also even Drummond, for example. Um, I think, weirdly enough, small ball, I think, probably is the Raptors' best strategy against the Bulls when they put out, you know, Vucevic. I think they can go smaller with Scotty at five for stretches, and I think they're going to get, you know, uh, some good results out of that. Probably not as much if you put, like, that at small ball five, for example, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to see how they handle that, how they how they adjust and, and play it. I mean, it's interesting too. It's a bit of a chess match because Darko obviously was the one of the you know the head assistants b- behind uh, Billy Donovan back when they were in OKC, and so um, I'm sure he would want to get a win over these guys. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of when to play small ball against these guys because I do feel like the Raptors will settle in on that look for them. Um, you're probably going to need like a big game, for example, from. Like a Chris Boucher, if he gets into the rotation, I thought Chris did well against Chicago the last game, and you probably need somebody flying around and just helping over and rotating a little bit. Um, you know, we haven't seen that from Chris. He's kind of been like up and down a lot, just like his minutes have been. But um, yeah, I, it'll always be interesting. I, I don't think we have a natural like who's going to guard Demar for us. Yeah, my I was going to ask you this, and I, I think the answer, Scotty. I so think... we're going to have him play Demar and also play small ball five at times. I mean, yeah. That's a big ask. Like, man. I'm talking, like, out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who okay. does he guard? Because the Got Bulls you. are right now with, with Levine and Patrick Williams uh, and Torrey Craig all out. They start basically three guards, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Damar and Vucevic. Like, Ayo yeah. Sunmu started last game along right. with Caruso and Kobe White. So, they're small. Yeah. Um, and, like, the Raptors are kind of small right now, too. So, I, I could see Scotty and, and Damar just, like, lining up as the fours. Um, I'm more curious what they what they do with the Scotty matchup. Because, like, you don't want DeMar guarding Scotty, really. They'll probably Car- throw Caruso at yeah, it again. probably. Yeah. Maybe some double teams. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, Scotty's getting to see, like, the top-tier defenders yeah. and also double teams. And, like, probably if you, if you don't have RJ and quickly, why wouldn't you? No, absolutely. Double the heck I'd out of I'd be like, him, oh, yeah. Jordan Moore had one 26-point game. Cool. Let me see him do it again. And yeah. if he does it again, we'll adjust, right? It's a game but- where, like, this has been the case for pretty much every game. But <laughs> I would much prefer to watch this game where Scotty has Jakob Pertl as a weapon yeah. to, you know, get some space, mm-hmm. to get that Vooch switch if Caruso's giving him trouble, sure, yeah. uh, to have a backline defender so he doesn't have to guard Vooch and can mm-hmm. maybe guard tomorrow a little bit more. Uh, I miss Jakob Pertl, man. No, I mean, I think they're like one and nine without Yak in the lineup. Oh. So it's tough. It's been tough. Um, yeah, I think the other thing to me is too is just like, how do we keep Kobe White quiet? Because sometimes he'll kill you with like making five threes, six threes. He's, he's that type of player who can really get hot. But last game, he also got downhill against the Raptors over and over again. And I don't know, man. It's going to be a long... I mean, Dennis, you know, um, 
Hopefully, the best case scenario is Dennis does a really good job against Kobe White. The Raptors win, and then we call Dennis tomorrow. I was gonna say is Dennis on the show tomorrow because uh, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, I'll tell you right now. Um, okay, so that was uh, but between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take mm-hmm. a chance. Uh, believe you also wanted to shout out Casey McKay and and Easter Seals uh, Ontario today as well. Uh, yes, I did. Um, just wanted to pull it up earlier because did I that just we just dropped the link? Oh no, we did. We have the we have the link here. Yeah. Um, so this is Casey's 24th year participating in the yes. Maple Leaf Skate, which is to uh, help fund Easter Seals Ontario. It's a fundraiser. Uh, I've donated to Casey in the past. Mm-hmm. Huge Toronto sports fan who interacts with a lot of us uh, on Twitter. Yeah, I and it, wanted to give Casey a shout out and point people to that. No, th- thank you for pointing this out because I did lose at the top of the rundown to make sure we had this for this week. But yeah, go go support Casey. Um, go look up at Easter Seals Ontario and um, yeah, just you know help support you know the cause. Uh, but I appreciate you, Casey, for reaching out to us and um, you know, YouTube, Blake, for, for bringing that up. Okay, uh, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. It's time to get fired up. Uh, big thanks to our guests today, Trey Kirby, Savannah Hamilton, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow.